Amen. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 28. If you'll turn there with me, please, this evening. Matthew chapter 28. And we come to a very familiar passage of God's Word. And uh, you'll know it when we get there. You might even know it just by the reference. But sometimes when we look at a familiar portion of God's Word, we have the tendency uh, to think we know it, we've heard it all, and therefore we can sit back and relax until the meeting's over. But don't let yourself do that tonight. And we have in this passage of Scripture what has been entitled by the church of, of the living God. We call it the Great Commission. And if I give that title, most of you know immediately where we're going and what it means. But I want to challenge you with it tonight. And, and I was encouraged, somebody recently said to me how blessed they were to hear of, of uh, how much and uh, how many are going through this church, through this body. And um, they were very encouraged about that because that is the spirit of the New Testament church. The spirit of the New Testament church was not to sit and relax and to make our church comfortable and work only on this and be very introspective. And if you're not careful, you will develop that mentality. That is the mentality of the Western world in many ways. Just relax and let's focus on this our church, our just our Jerusalem, and let's worry about this. And if we're not careful, we can we can have that kind of a blind blinded view of the world and blinded view of Christianity. But we read from the very beginning, the very inception of the church of our Lord and Savior, that we have this great command, this great mission given to the church. And many people would say, well, that's just to the apostles. But we find all through the New Testament that that continues uh, not just throughout the rest of the scriptures, throughout the ages. And let's read together. Matthew 28, beginning in verse number 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. Speaking about the resurrection of the Savior. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Now let me just stop. I've read that before we go any further because that lets you know that this work of the Great Commission, this work of going into all the world with the gospel message has always been fought tooth and nail by Satan. In fact, this message and this work began to be attacked before the disciples actually had a chance to begin obeying it. And it was done because the enemy already began to make excuses. Now I want you to know how clever Satan is. Whilst we sit idly by and work on make, building our own nest and taking care of our own homes and taking care of our own lives and, and taking care of our own things, whilst we're doing this, Satan is actively going out. Now that ought to stir you up. It ought to convict you that the enemy is not resting. The enemy is not taking a break. The enemy is not just focusing on their one little corner. The enemy is proactive and in going into all the world. And so the message has already gone out. Let me tell you what to say. Think about it. 
Jesus has risen. And the enemy, Satan, knows he's defeated. And so the only thing he can do is to begin before the disciples get out and start talking about the risen Lord. The enemy says, you go out and start trying to explain it away. Think about that. Before you and I ever go out, the enemy's already at work. Then we're told in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we open this book. It is not ours. We read thy words, not ours. We hear thy great mission, thy great command. And it isn't even ours, not one we thought of. Not our plan, not our strategy, but thine. Help us to be obedient, Lord. Help us to be those who hear the words of our Savior and are willing to obey them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at that last phrase of chapter of the book of Matthew. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. What a promise. What a promise that Jesus will be with us unto the end. Now, these words have been the seal of comfort and help to many of God's children throughout the ages. Since the day they were first uttered from the lips of Jesus Christ, they have served as a comfort and a promise to every obedient generation. But the question we've got to ask today, is it true? You say, well, how can you even ask that question? Jesus said it, it must be true. Can these words be trusted today? Are they applicable to us today? I believe so. And I believe, like I said earlier, saints and believers throughout the ages have believed it. David Livingston believed it. This was his life verse. This became his life promise. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. They say that these words first became real to David Livingston when he was just a little boy. He'd sit on his father's knee and listen to missionary story after missionary story. And one story in particular caught his attention. It was the story of a Dutch medical missionary. One who took the practice of being a physician into the foreign field to heal the soul and the body. And David Livingston looked up into the face of his father as a little boy and said, one day I'm going to be just like that. Fathers and mothers, there isn't a better thing you can do for your children than to read God's word daily to them and tell them, read to them stories, real stories of men and women who've lived for God, given their lives to God. Do you know that Hudson Taylor, when he was five years old, first felt the call to China? Because he listened to his father talk about how there was such a need in China. No wonder God went on to use him to split China wide open and start the China Inland Mission. 
David Livingston once said this, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties except the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. Isn't that beautiful? Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. But there's something very interesting about this promise. This promise is conditional. Now, I know a lot of people who want to claim that. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And they love to quote that, but they don't take into consideration the previous commands that precede that promise. You cannot claim Matthew 28, verse 20, unless you've obeyed the previous commands. He told us he'd never leave us nor forsake us. Absolutely, I believe that when you're born again, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. But we're talking about the presence of Jesus that accompanies you in a special, unique way when you obey his command. Look at it. There's a condition. You cannot take this. You cannot claim this promise and try to apply it to your life if you ignore the rest of the passage. There's a context. I'd love to be able to have the comfort of this promise and live my life in it. Can you imagine? I'm going to live my life any way I want to. Indulge in sin, relax, take care, only care about myself, and then claim this promise. Jesus said he'd be with me. Can you imagine how silly that sounds? I'm going to live for myself, but Jesus said he's going to be with me. Nonsense. Low and low. That means look, based upon what was previously said. And low. Therefore, I am with you. So what are the conditions? Look at the first one. Verse number 19. What's the first word? Some of you boys tell me. What's that first word? Verse number 19. What is it? Go. Now, some people have a, have a, a homebody disposition. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I am saying you got to get over it. Some people would rather stay home. Some people naturally are, are go, 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 go kind of people. Others are naturally kind of homebody people. But this is a command. Go ye, therefore, because all power had been given to Jesus in heaven and in earth, because he had all authority, because of that authority, now he says, I command you to go. It's a Interesting thought. Somebody once said the gospel invitation is very simple. Come and see. And the gospel command is just as simple. Go and tell. Come and see. Remember what the angel said? Come and see. They came to the tomb and, and it was empty. Come and see. And then go and tell. Go and tell the other disciples. Well, what about when someone was healed? Go and tell what great things the Lord have done for you. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and you are not going, shame on you. How dare we take from the hand of God selfishly and sit on it? What about what Jesus said in that famous Sermon on the Mount? A man doesn't light a candle, put it under a bushel, does he? No, but he lights it and puts it in the highest point of the room to light the whole place. Or a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. It's a command. Go. Ye are the light of the world. A light shines brightly in a dark world. It sends out rays of light. 
He's speaking directly to his 11 disciples. We read in verse number 16. But this command carries on throughout the ages. To all who will heed his call to go. And if you want to claim the promise of verse number 20, then you've got to obey the command of verse number 19. Now, is that it? If we go, then we get that, that promise. No, no, no. That's just the beginning. Go ye therefore and do what? Go ye therefore and do great humanitarian acts. That's what a lot of people are doing. Go ye therefore and uh, drill boreholes. Well, that's good. We want to help people. Go ye therefore and build houses. That's good. That's not a bad thing. Go ye therefore and give clothes and, and give food. Now, that's not bad. We ought to care for the physical needs of our fellow human beings as well. But this particular command is to go ye therefore and teach all nations. Literally, make disciples, followers of Jesus of every nation. Go win souls. That's what it is. Very plain and simply. Not just going, but going specifically after souls. Go and win souls. Now look, you can't reach all nations if you don't go. How are we going to obey this? How are we going to see this happen? And by the way, let me just encourage you. Would you just hold your place there and turn to Revelation, would you please, with me? The book of Revelation that speaks of the end times. I love this book. And uh, somebody keeps saying, well, why don't you preach a series on uh, the book of Revelation? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I don't know if i got enough courage yet for that. But look with me, please. Revelation chapter 4. If you would, please. Let's read from verse number 8. And four beasts had each of them six wings about him. They were full of eyes within and the rest, the rest not day nor or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him and that sat on the throne and worship him. And that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they were they are and were created. Now go with me please if you would to verse number 11. So we see creatures 4 and 20 elders sorry chapter 5 verse number 11 now and the Bible says sorry verse 9 they sung a new song not just the heavenly creatures. They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of, watch this, every kindred and every tongue and every people and every, what's the last word? Nation. One day we will all be gathered around the throne of God and from every nation there will be people praising Jesus. We're told it's, it's going to happen. But it can't happen and it won't happen if God's people don't go into every nation. That's how God ordained it to be. He said, God doesn't need us. You, you, if you're not careful, you can become like the fatalist. If you're not careful, you can become like the, like the, uh, the snobbish elders that told William Carey to sit down, you young enthusiast. When God wishes to convert the heathen, he'll do it with or without you or I. He'll do it without consulting you or I, he said. No, no, God told us to go. That's God's ordained method of reaching the world. Now, part of going, I confess, is staying. Now hear me. You've heard about the Moravians 
One of the world's greatest missionary movements. Some would say the one of the first worldwide missionary movements. They sent people, at one point in time, one out of every nine Moravian was sent as a missionary. Think about that. And it started when they just had a congregation, a community of 300 people. You know what that meant? More than 30 of them were sent out as missionaries. Now on a Sunday morning, imagine if 200 people gathered, that's, that's about 22 or so people being sent out as missionaries from our church. Can you imagine? That's the way, because they believed this command. And the ones who stayed, one out of nine, so the other eight, you know what they do? They live sacrificially at home so they can support the missionaries that were going. Now that's just as important. Do you know that? That's just as important. Some of them would even, some of the families would even live in one house so they'd cut down on costs so that they could have more money to send to the missionaries. Think about that. I know, I know of a family right now in America, in the state of Ohio, who have lived in the same mobile home for the last 40 years of their life. He has climbed the ladder of success in his place of employment. He's one of the highest paid uh, people in his line of work, but he still has lived the same on the same amount of money as he did 40 years ago. And every time he got a pay increase, he takes some money and gives it to missions. He refuses to use a tumble dryer because he wants to save money on electricity so he can send it to missionaries. Think about it. The man could live. He could live in a very posh home and brand new vehicles, but he refuses because he wants to save as much money as he can to send it to missionaries. Because he understands that part of growing is staying. That someone has to stay and labor and support the work that goes on. Very encouraging. But look what else it says. Go into all the world. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, making disciples of all nations. And part of teaching them, part of making disciples of all nations is what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What's that? That's public identification with the triune God. Name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I was speaking with a young man today. He was asking me uh, what I believed about the Trinity. And I said, although we do not find the word Trinity in Scripture, we do find very clearly in God's Word in several places, all three present at the same time. And, uh, and he said, well, some people believe that uh, Jesus is just God in another form, and the Holy Spirit is just God. In another, that's an old heresy called modalism or modalism. But we believe that there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. This is one example of all three being mentioned in one verse, one setting baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, identifying with our great God. That's what baptism is. It's an outward demonstration of what God has done internally. It is publicly saying, I've been changed, and I'm now going to go with the same message that came to me. But you may not go around the world. You may just go to your neighbor. You may just go to your family, your own home. You may go to your employees and your employer and your fellow fellow laborers, but you're still going. Is that it? Well, that's our job. Just tell them about Jesus. Hey, they don't like it. Our job's done. Wrong. That's only, that's only part of it. If you want to claim, lo, I am with you always. Yes, preach the gospel to every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And look what it says. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So if you go and bring souls to Jesus Christ and they're baptized, identifying with them with the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, 
then we must teach them what Jesus has taught us. And you can't do that unless you bring them along with you. Do you know the way, the best way you find in Scripture Jesus Christ teaching someone is he brought them with him. Do you know that? Oh, yes, he sat people down on the hillside and had sermons. And there's a benefit in that, benefit in gathering together on a Wednesday night, like this, benefit of gathering on a Sunday. But if you want to really teach someone, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, bring them with you. Bring them with you when you make a visit. Bring them with you when you go into the open air. Bring them with you when you go into the hospital. Bring them with you when you, when you, when you go, when you do your own Bible studies. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, then we can claim the promise. Then we can say, lo, I am with you. Jesus is with us always, even until the end of the world. Now, is that it? Jesus said he's going to be with us, so no problems. That's it, right? Game over. No, no, no. There are many who are not actually obeying this command because this command is not easy. It's not easy. To obey this command requires the sacrifice of a life. You say, what's that mean? I got to quit my job and, and um, sell my house. No, no, no. You, you do what he tells you to do. You do what he tells you to do. Doesn't mean you got to quit your job, but it does mean that your life is in his hands. And that you are his, not yours. That you understand what it is that I've been bought with a price. And you're a servant to nobody but Jesus Christ. You are not guided and directed by anybody but the Savior. Now this is very important. Laying down your life, giving your life. That's not just for the pastor or the missionary or the evangelist. That's for every child of God. That's why Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. What? No, you're not. You've been bought with a price. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. When David Livingston paid his first visit back to Scotland after he'd been in Africa for a number of years, there were people waiting to heap honors upon him because he was this great explorer. And they brought him to the University of Glasgow. And they just bestowed upon him all sorts of lavish honors. And one of them was the degree of the doctor of laws, which was usually subject to banter because it was something that was given rather than necessarily earned by, by studies. But do you know when he stood up to receive that award, a hush riveted the auditorium. Why? His body was so mangled by the time he'd spent in Africa. His body bore the marks of suffering. Long exposure to the African sun left him lean and haggard. He'd been laid low by fevers from swamps more than 30 times. Think about that. And they'd left their mark on him. His left arm hung limp by his side. He couldn't raise it over a certain level because he'd been attacked, mauled by a lion. Think about it. And do you know what he spoke of when he stood up to receive that honor? He spoke of going back for more. Think about it. He said this, But I returned, speaking of Africa, I returned without any misgiving and with great gladness. 
For would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among people whose language I could not understand and whose attitude towards me was always uncertain and sometimes hostile? It was this. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. On these words I staked everything, and they have never failed. Jesus Christ knew what an enormous task. He knew what an enormous work was in front of the disciples. And therefore, an enormous task required an enormous supply. And you know what that supply was? Jesus Christ himself. I'll go with you. He didn't say go into all the world and I'll give you all the money you need. He didn't say go into all the world, baptize all those people and then teach them everything that I've taught you and I'll make sure that you're healthy and wealthy and happy. He didn't say that, but you know what he did promise? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Now can I just say, if you know that he's with you, the rest is trivial. I think I mentioned this the other day, but one of the, one of the things I'll never forget about my recent trip, our recent trip to Canada and New York City as we sat down for lunch on a Sunday afternoon after, uh, worshiping there with David and Rhoda in Long Island. We sat down with one of his deacons in their home and, and, um, uh, the, the deacon's wife said to me, Oh, I just want to, I want to warn you. My father will be home in just a moment. He's about 90 years old. He comes from an old brethren assembly and he loves to debate the Bible. I said, okay, thank you for the warning. And sure enough, just a few moments, I heard the rattling of a door and in come this elderly Indian gentleman. Born and raised in India. Spent the last 30, 40 years in America. We began to talk and he told me how he was saved. He was converted to the ministry of a man called Bhak Singh. Some of you may know that name. This man, single-handedly, by the grace of God and the power of God, was instrumental in starting more than 10,000 churches in India. Think about that. And I thought we were doing okay with nine. Think about it. He told me the story of how a young man came to him. A young preacher boy came to Bok Singh and said, Mr. Singh, I, I believe God wants me to go and start a church in a particular village, but I don't have any money. And Bok Singh said, you think you can't start a church unless you've got money? He said, no, no, no. If you have money, you can't start a church. If you've got money, you can't start a church. Because you will rely upon your own resources. You will rely upon your own self. If you want to do the work of God, then you need to depend upon Him. You need to have faith in Him. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you obey me, I promise you, I will give you me. What a promise. What more could we want? Look, if you can do it without Jesus, you're not obeying the command. Amy Carmichael once wrote a little, little poem entitled, Hast Thou No Scar? Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star, but hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent leaned me against a tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me I swooned hast thou no wound 
no wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? Has it cost you anything at all? When David Livingston died in Africa, they said that he left this world the same way that he passed through it, on his knees in prayer. The story says that he, he had gotten so ill that they had to carry him. Some of his men had to carry him from village to village in a stretcher. One night they put up his tent and, and he asked his men to prop him up on the side of his little cot so he could pray to his Lord. And they propped him up and left him in peace. And they came back a few moments later to check on him. He was still praying. And they left and gave him some more time, came back about an hour later, still praying. And they grew concerned after a couple of hours. And finally, one of the men came up to him and said, said to him, Sir, sir. And as they touched him on the shoulder, he fell over. He had died on his knees in prayer. Can you imagine? What a... What a testimony. Can you imagine talking to your Lord on your knees in prayer and opening your eyes and seeing him face to face? They loved Mr. Livingston so much, they removed his heart, buried his heart, they say, in Zambia, just across the Victoria Falls on the other side. Then they wrapped up his body and they carried, they took the long trek and carried his body all the way to the coast, put him on a boat and shipped him all the way, his body all the way back to England. Now, of course, you can imagine there wasn't much left of his body when it reached London. But a doctor confirmed that it was indeed David Livingston. Do you know how they confirmed it? By the mangled left arm. They confirmed it by the disease-ridden body. It was the scars that were used to recognize that this indeed was David Livingston. I wonder, have you any scars? Is there anything recognizable about you that you have indeed labored for Christ and you've spent for Him? You've been willing to spend for the Savior who gave all for you. Go ye therefore, because all power has been given to Jesus and Jesus says, I'm with you. And therefore, all power is with you. The Creator God, the omnipotent God of the universe is with us. What are we waiting for? Can you imagine having the, all the power of the universe with us? The resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, looked at them and basically said, by the same power that I've been raised from the dead, all power has been given unto me, and I'm going to go with you if you'll only go. But you don't have that promise if you don't go. You don't have that promise of the almighty power of the resurrected son working with you laboring with you unless you go and look what he says and lo I am with you always even unto the end of the world what's that mean I'm with you always meaning in every circumstance in every trial in every difficulty and it's actually his presence that motivates us to go I want to go so I can experience his presence like this. Even unto the end of the world. Well, there's two ways to apply that little phrase. Meaning everywhere to the four corners of the earth, as it were. And also to the end of your life. There'll never be a moment when you don't have him with you. Now, 
Let me point one last little thought out and then I'll close. In verse number 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Did you catch that? Can you imagine? Some people say, well, if the Lord just performed a miracle in front of me, then I'd believe him and I'd do anything he wanted me to do. That's not true. There were some who saw the resurrected Lord and Savior and they still doubted. They saw him with their eyes. They put their finger in his hand. Watched him eat with them. And they still doubted. Which one are you? Are you doubting tonight? You may never see results. You may never know the results you want to know. But you will know that he's with you. You will know that he's with you. And I'm praying that God would continue to move in our hearts and minds to obey this. Here, in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. He's not going to send everybody. Not around the world. But he will send everybody to your neighbor, your family, your co-workers. All of us are lights and salt in this world. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we thank thee for this passage and for the promise that Jesus is with us when we obey his command. And we ask of thee, Lord, stir us more to be obedient, to go. Let it begin on our own streets. Let it begin in our own housing complexes and in our own places of employment and universities and schools. And Lord, use us, we pray. And if it please thee to send some to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world, then please make it clear. And use us, we pray. Oh, may we know what it is to have the presence of thy son, Jesus, walking with us. His power with us. His authority with us. Use us for thy glory, we pray. May we not be afraid of the hardships and challenges that are in front of us. May we be willing, as the Apostle Paul said, to bear in our bodies the death of the Lord Jesus. May we be willing to fill up the sufferings of Christ in our own bodies. May we be willing to go through whatever it may be so that Christ may be gloriously exalted, so that he might be preached, that his name may be lifted high, and that souls would be pointed unto him. Help us to lift high Jesus, our Savior. Help us to preach his message, not ours. And may we be used, Lord, in a very special way in these days. We ask, Lord, all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.